Informing America's farmers and ranchers. This is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. And welcome into AOA, Agriculture of America. Thank you for joining us here today. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. have an exciting show lined up for you. A lot of different issues we are going to talk about concerning rural America and agriculture here on the program today. Today's show brought to you by our friends at Senex, Senex Premium Diesel and Senex Roadmaster XL. Everyday products powered locally. That's Senex. Coming up here on today's AOA, we're going to have a conversation, get the latest details on what's going on with carbon pipelines. We've had some recent permit denials across parts of the Corn Belt, the Dakotas, and watching the situation in Iowa. Joe Heinrich, Smart Carbon Network, is going to join the show for an update in segment two. In segment three today, Donnell Rehagen with Clean Fuels Alliance America will be joining us to talk about biofuels and much more. They uh, recently released a new study looking at some interesting interesting stats surrounding sustainable aviation fuel and more, so we're going to talk about that. And then coming up in segment four, as we continue our coverage of National Farm Safety and Health Week, we'll have a conversation with Jana Davidson from the Progressive Agriculture Foundation. Kicking things off, joining us now with the Association of Equipment Manufacturers as we look at the August equipment numbers Kurt Blades is with us. Kurt, great to have you back on AOA. I hope you're doing well. I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on today. Well, Kurt, let's dive in and talk about the August Ag Tractor and Combine sales. And I believe uh, the largest uh, tractors, they continue unit sales growth uh, here in the last month. Can you give us uh, an update on that and some of the highlights from the August numbers? Uh, Absolutely. You're correct. The Large horsepower tractors are continuing uh, on a really strong 2023. In fact, we're up 20, uh, 21% over this time last year in August and actually up 34% year to date. Uh, couple that with uh, tractors over 100 horsepower are actually up 7%. And that's a pretty good indication that those true farm tractors are actually doing quite well right now. Well, and that's something that, you know, we continue to watch those large tractors, uh, one piece of the puzzle here, but uh, just continue to see that growth there. It's always uh, always impressive. And Kurt, I know you and I have been talking the last couple of months just surrounding all of these numbers and, and watching the different segments here. The overall health of the uh, ag equipment space uh, looking pretty good right now. The overall health has absolutely uh, been pretty good for the last, you know, last three years, actually. And I think it's a, a number of reasons. One, the farm economy has been doing pretty good. I know we have some dark storm clouds right now, but the overall farm economy has been strong for the last few years. And there's predictions that it's going to look uh, positive into the future. Now, you know, we in, uh, in ag equipment, we sell, you know, farm tractors, obviously, but we also smell sell small tractors that go to acreages and to uh, small landholders. And that market's been a little bit softer for the last couple of years. You know, as you and I have had these conversations over the last little bit, that market was on fire during the pandemic, but we're mm-hmm. seeing some softness in that market right now where under 40 horsepower tractors are actually down, you know, about 10% uh, year to date, uh, year over year. And that's kind of bringing the total numbers down uh, for tractor sales. So it's kind of a mixed bag when you look at the overall health of the ag equipment market. 
How about the combine side of things, both in the U.S. and uh, we'll talk the Canadian numbers, I'm sure, here in a minute. But how, how about combine sales? How's that looking right now? Well, as a general rule, combines have looked a whole lot like four-wheel drive tractors where the market has just been white hot. In fact, we're up 31% year-to-date for combines, uh, self-propelled combines, very similar to the articulated four-wheel drive. We saw a little bit of a, dop, uh, little bit of a drop in August, but I think that's probably as much timing as anything else. But I'll tell you, you know, when you see big growth in combines, a farmer doesn't wake up tomorrow and decide to buy a new combine. They have to plan that uh-huh. ahead. And they feel pretty good about the future. So I, I, like, uh, I like seeing those numbers with the strong growth. That's showing optimism, and that's showing uh, folks taking advantage of some of those new machines that are out there that are really technologically advanced and a lot more efficient. How about our friends north of the border? I know uh, AEM tracks the Canadian numbers. Anything stand out there? You know, Canada and, uh, and the U.S. in the month of August are pretty much neck and neck. I mean, we saw a little bit uh, uh, of a difference in the in the four-wheel drive tractors where where they've been strong to uh, this year up 16 percent but for the month of uh, month of august down just a little bit we're not talking about huge numbers here so i i'm not i'm not too worried about that drop off that we see that we see in canada um it's funny sometimes canada is a very early indicator of of uh, where sales trends are going to go uh, either up or down, and sometimes they're a laggard. And when there is a disparity like we see in August, I'm going to be paying attention to this for a couple more months to see if there's something to this. I think we might just be dealing with seasonality with the uh, um, four-wheel drive tractors being off just a little bit in August. We're talking with Kurt Blades, Senior Vice President of Industry Sectors and Product Leadership at the Association of Equipment Manufacturers. Kurt, are you guys seeing a trend at all with some of these new equipment purchases? Is there one reason or another in particular why we're seeing a lot of a uh, lot of strength in many of these sectors? Does it have to do with automation features, things like that? We know there's a, a lot of talk about uh, technology and ag. Is, is that one of the big reasons out there right now? What do you think? Well, I mean, Jesse, if there's such thing as a softball question, that's the one because, boy, you, you <laughs> know I love talking about precision ag and new technology and if you hit the farm show season this summer and fall you saw some of those machines on display and holy crap that makes a really big difference when you see a tractor that can drive itself and is a whole lot more efficient so that is certainly contributing to the drive of demand where you're seeing uh, farmers able to take advantage of that new technology and making a big difference uh, in their in their farming operations you couple that with just some long-term optimism for the um, uh, for the market, and and uh, you know it kind of leads to these numbers being relatively solid. Kurt, I got to throw you a softball question or two every now and then. We can't we can't it. always have it be hardball questions, there, my friend. You bet, you bet, you bet. <laughs> love it. Anything else uh, stand out to you in the August numbers, or anything you're you're keeping an eye on as we move forward and watch uh, what's going on in the ag equipment sector overall? Well, I'll tell you, you you said in the bumper that uh, you're help, you're doing your work to celebrate uh, Farm Safety Week, and uh, I have a personal story there, and uh, we can talk about that at a future date. But I just ask ask all your listeners out there to be as safe as they can while they're driving up and down the road. Uh, certainly, as we're approaching harvest season, because you know uh, this only matters when you come home at night to your loved ones. And uh, please ask your your uh, your readers to be safe out there, your, your listeners to be safe out there. They're sharing the road with tractors and big equipment, and just be patient if you're following a tractor. 
I couldn't agree more. And Kurt, I know if folks want more information, they want to take a deeper dive into the latest numbers, they can do that online, aem.org, can't they? Absolutely, aem.org. And if you want some additional research, you can go to aem.org slash insights, and that'll drive you directly to some of these studies, including the market research. Fantastic. Senior Vice President of Industry Sectors and Product Leadership at the Association of Equipment Manufacturers, Kurt Blades. Thanks, as always, for joining us on AOA today, Kurt. We'll talk to you again soon. You bet. Thanks so much. And that is uh, always a great conversation there with Kurt Blades from the Association of Equipment Manufacturers. All right, coming up, we're going to have a conversation with Joe Heinrich from the Smart Carbon Network, getting an update on the carbon pipeline situation across the cord belt. That's on the way next here on AOA, brought to you by Cenex, Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil, oil that runs smart. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, where we take a close look at the benefits of cooperative ownership. Every week, we'll host a new guest and discuss how you can get the most from working with your local cooperative. And we'll learn why farmers and ranchers just like you choose cooperatives to help them persevere and prosper. Tune in each Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. At Bayer, we think farmers have made enough trade-offs. That's why we created VT4 Pro with RNAi technology, so you don't have to choose between yield potential or our widest spectrum of insect protection. You get both. And you're even protected against notorious pests like corn earworm and corn rootworm. Visit vt4pro.com to trade up without the trade-offs. Read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. Copyright 2023 Bayer Group, always reserved. The archaeological record suggests that wheat was first cultivated in the regions of the Fertile Crescent, also known as the Cradle of Civilization, around 9600 BC. The Roman goddess Ceres, who was deemed protector of the grain, gave grains their common name today, cereal. Wheat is the primary grain used in U.S. grain products. Approximately three-quarters of all U.S. grain products are made from wheat flour. The first bagel rolled into the world in 1683 when a baker from Vienna, Austria, was thankful to the king of Poland for saving Austria from Turkish invaders, the baker reshaped the local bread so that it resembled the king's stirrup. The new bread was called bugel, derived from the German word for stirrup. Ancient traditional tortillas were made from ground corn by Mexican natives as long as 2,000 years ago. However, flour tortillas only started to become popular in the 19th century. More types of foods are made with wheat than with any other cereal grain. These farm facts brought to you by the American Egg Network. Nothing offers an opportunity to bond and give thanks quite like breaking bread together. This is especially true as we welcome our troops back home and keep those who are still stationed overseas in our hearts. Hi, I'm Gary Sinise. Since 2011, the Gary Sinise Foundation's Serving Heroes program has shown gratitude to our nation's defenders and their families by serving up nearly 500,000 hearty classic American meals at travel hubs and military locations. And now, together with our friends at Bob Evans Farms and their Our Farm Salutes program, we will help to provide even more meals nationwide, offering our defenders a taste of home and a feeling of togetherness around the table. Help us show America's gratitude through food and fellowship. Look for the Bob Evans Our Farm Salutes purple packaging at your grocery store and visit ourfarmsalutes.com to learn more. While we can never do enough to support the men and women who serve, 
Together, we can make a difference, bite by bite. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed, AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. Thanks for joining us here on AOA Today, Agriculture of America, brought to you by Cenex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil, everyday products powered locally, that's Cenex. Right now, we want to turn our attention to what is going on with carbon pipelines here across the Corn Belt. A lot of discussion about this topic. We've been following it here on the program. We've seen some recent permit denials in states like South Dakota, North Dakota. A lot of conversations in Iowa about the situation. Joining us now to give us uh, just a bit of an overview of what's going on, a unbiased look at things. Executive Director for the Smart Carbon Network. Joe Heinrich is joining us once again here on AOA. Joe, it's great to talk with you again. I hope you're doing well. Oh, doing great over here. How are you today? You know, Joe, I'm doing fantastic. Uh, enjoyed my uh, cup of coffee and uh, and talking agriculture here on AOA, of course. Yeah. And uh, happy to catch up with you again. And a lot going on uh, with the carbon pipeline situation right now. I know we've seen a few permit denials uh, for both the Summit Carbon Solutions uh, and the Navigator CO2 project here. I know recently South Dakota uh, with some of those permit denials. Can you just uh, to start, get us up to speed on, on what we've been seeing here the last couple of weeks? Yeah, and uh, what I've been watching is the same thing as what you folks have been getting news on, that uh, North Dakota um, a couple days ago said they're going to reconsider that application, I guess. For summit um, South Dakota yeah denied uh, navigator after it was like three weeks worth of hearings that was it was kind of a long trek through that you know we we I don't attend them but to keep up every day on what was going on and then uh, the summit pretty much that they said nope you guys aren't going to be able to do it without that county in South Dakota they're saying the counties have the control over the setbacks and so with that, then they said Summit wouldn't be able to do it at this point. So um, it's kind of at a standstill through South Dakota. And I'm not sure, you know, we don't, I don't talk to the pipelines about it, but I'm, a, I'm sure they're kind of assessing what, what their next moves are on that. And then Iowa, we've got a flurry going on down here because they have the hearings down here in uh, Fort Dodge right now trying to get done by the end of the month. Yeah, and I was going to say, in your home state there of Iowa, a lot of talk, it seems like surrounding the use of eminent domain, a lot of landowners uh, having informational hearings and, and talking about this situation. And uh, I know you've attended some of those uh, information-type meetings and more here the last couple of weeks. I mean, what's what's the sound? what's it sound like on the ground there in, in Iowa? What's kind of the prevailing theme that you're hearing from folks when you have conversations with them? Well, it's really interesting. We do hear about the property rights. That's uh, one of the things all the way through. And and as a landowner, I, I understand that. we You know, you want to make sure uh, when these companies come and start talking to you about it, make sure what they're offering, um, what the options are, because if it's not going someplace you like on your land, ask them if they can move it some. I, I've known instances like that. Uh, you know, as far as rec land reclamation seems to be a big thing down in Iowa also, because, you know, we've got some uh, pretty good dirt running through this state and people are worried, are, is it going to be put back where it's going to be usable again? And there's, you know, there's 
explanations for that. I've, I've really enjoyed learning more about this whole process in the last six months and what they do for land reclamation. That's probably another one. But, you know, they're all legitimate questions and all all questions and concerns we need to work through knowing that we need to understand more about carbon capture, the whole system, and why it's so important to the Midwest. Well, you and I have talked before, and you know, we'll like to have a good, good old-fashioned Midwest conversation surrounding this issue yeah. because it is very divisive. It's a hot-button issue for many folks. From your perspective, the work you guys are doing at Smart Carbon Network, I mean, I mean, talk to us about some of the things that you believe are benefits to having carbon capture, carbon pipelines. Uh, can you just re refresh our, our memory on, on some of those things here, Forrest Joe? You bet. You bet. And if I can first say that, you know, I understand the concerns, the fears. Uh, you know, I see that we've dealt with pipelines and high lines here. And, you know, there are things that need to be worked out and, and discussed. But long term, the whole carbon capture port program is so important to the to the Midwest. First off, when we look at what you think of immediately, that ethanol industry, um, because we're going to have to produce low carbon fuel and carbon capture is by far the best way to do that. And we have to do that because our consumers are demanding it, where we're selling ethanol to out of this state to other other states and internationally even, that we're going to have to be thinking about how we can do it with low carbon. The second phase of that is it doesn't just help agriculture, it helps those communities where those ethanol plants are. And then we talk beyond that, just the ethanol industry. We're talking about uh, fertilizer, we're talking about plastics, uh, energy factories, anything like that that are putting our high, high carbon out. Uh, this is a, a very efficient way to catch it. So it helps us then. But it also, I say, look forward five to 10 years as more products are being developed, made out of carbon, the CO2. Uh, this is a commodity down the road that we could really take advantage of to create more industry within the Midwest. And I see that as a huge uh, potential development for our communities to make it more vibrant. We're talking with Joe Heinrich, Executive Director for the Smart Carbon Network here today on AOA. And Joe, you mentioned it becoming a commodity. I believe you guys have. Have you done some work, some research on just what what that could look like. I mean, I, I would have to think that farmers could stand to benefit pretty substantially on the economic front if some of these things were able to come to fruition, Joe. Oh, yes, definitely. And and on the carbon capture side, the side that I'm working on, I really see that because uh, if we can turn that carbon that's being captured and instead of putting it all in into the ground in North Dakota or Illinois and take it, uh, make it a saleable item, make, turn it into a co-product instead of a byproduct, that's going to help the profitability of those ethanol plants, which in turn help us because we will get a better basis. So that helps agriculture directly in that sense. And it also helps because you're generating economic opportunity in those communities. I think that's really important. The other side to it is I'm not involved with it, but it's going to be those CI, the uh, carbon intensity scores. Uh, that's going to be another way that agriculture can commoditize this. And actually, uh, if we can position ourselves, if we get on top of this and try to set the direction of where it's going, uh, agriculture could benefit greatly from this uh, in the next five to 10 years. 
Well, I know you do a lot of practices on your farming operation there in uh, in Iowa, and you know a lot of it uh, comes back to things that many farmers are already doing when it comes to cover crops, et cetera. There's a there's a lot of things that uh, we already do very well across uh, rural America for carbon capture, isn't there, Joe? Right, right. And this is just another addition to that as far as the carbon capture system. That's another addition to it. And what we do on our farms, uh, we already do, a, you know, great things. And and as I've said, you know, I I don't operate this operation like my dad did, you know, 40 years ago. And my great nephew, who's trying to tell me what to do around here already today, will operate it a lot different 40 years from now than what I'm doing today. And that's because to be sustainable, we also have to have to be adaptable, and that's to look for the that next opportunity. Where can we uh, do a better job in our operation? Do uh, to capture every ounce, of, every bit of profitability that we can, but also to leave that ground in as good or better better condition for the next generation. And agriculture can be proud of what we've done over the last, you know, many hundred, you know, hundreds of years. I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. Well, Joe, I know I've asked you this question before, and I'll ask it to you again. I know there's a lot of folks on either side of the fence here. Some folks are strongly for carbon pipelines. Some folks are strongly against. Uh, I myself, I'm I'm still learning about this whole process. So for folks who are, are still learning or maybe they are really against this, what, what would you say to them to at least try to get them to to have a discussion and and think about things a little bit. Well, one thing I would say is so many times I hear, um, you know, I I call it the political part of it, you know, because if you want to talk about climate change or, or, you know, is it the blues pushing or the reds pushing? I say, this is a bipartisan issue. It really is. I, I don't look at this as a political issue. I see this as an economic issue. And I, I believe that because of where the consumers are demanding our products and what they're demanding of it. Um, any of you folks with livestock, you know, we've already been through this with uh, beef quality assurance. We've got the dairy. It's called farm for the dairy side of it. Um, this is another extension. And the thing is, a lot of those things we're already doing. And so um, I would really encourage everybody to just like as i've said before let's be midwesterners let's let's take a breath let's talk with each other uh get the questions out there get those concerns out there and let's talk about it because there's really good answers to all of it we just have to work through it and talk together on it well folks can find more resources at smartcarbonnetwork.com executive director for the smart carbon network joe heinrich thanks for joining us today on aoa we appreciate it Thanks. You have a great day. All right, coming up next, Donnell Rehagen from Clean Fuels Alliance America here on AOA, brought to you by Cenex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Back with more right after this. Spot less. Introducing the cleanup for tar spot, gray leaf spot, southern rust, and more. Novel next generation at Astrio fungicide broadens your spectrum and strengthens your residual when it comes to foliar disease control in corn. Visit your FMC retailer or at astrio.ag.fmc.com to clean up this season. Follow 2WE for tar spot management in corn. Valid until 131.28. Always read and follow all label directions. 
Join us the first Wednesday of every month on AOA for the latest episode of The Monthly Grind with our friends at the National Corn Growers Association. We'll discuss the latest topics surrounding the corn industry, the relationships between corn and other parts of the agricultural supply chain, the newest initiatives and partnerships from NCGA's Market Development Action Team, and much more. That's the first Wednesday of every month for The Monthly Grind on AOA. It's a show you don't want to miss. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Risfet with this market update. Grains are mixed, but with mostly a weaker tone this morning. They're feeling some harvest pressure with some favorable weather in the near-term forecast. U.S. crop ratings do also continue to leak lower as the crops mature. Now, the official Stone X yields are currently at 175 for corn and 50.1 bushels per acre for soybeans, with the next updates coming on October 2nd. That's when they'll complete the next customer survey, but the trade is increasingly more concerned about weak export demand. China bought another 15 cargos of soybeans last week. That's down from 18 the previous week and down from 35-plus in the previous weeks. Nearly all of the purchases were from South America, which has booked more than 200 million bushels for shipment to China for the fourth quarter of this calendar year. That's reducing the need for U.S. soybeans during our peak shipment time. Traders are also monitoring the strength of El Nino with expected implications for Argentine and Brazilian production. Argentina's production is expected to surge in the coming year, but the big question will be what will Brazil do? Forecast models call for below normal rainfall for Brazil throughout its soybean growing season, but it normally gets far more rain than needed to produce a crop. Now it could still see a short crop, but the big El Nino years of 97 and 98 and 15 and 16 produce trend and above trend soybean yields. Now, we can't discount the possibility of a short Brazilian crop, but we also can't assume that it will happen just because the monsoons start late and are weaker than normal. The Federal Reserve's Monetary Policy Committee is also beginning two days of meetings this morning to discuss its next steps. The Doves are willing to go along with aggressive rate hikes when inflation was high, but now it may be more difficult to keep them on board with headline inflation getting closer to that 2% mandate. The VIX is trading near 14, while crude oil prices are sharply higher on supply concerns as demand continues to exceed expectations. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Ristvet. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed. And they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover keytar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. information America's farmers and ranchers need. AOA. Now, back to Jesse Allen. Thanks for joining us here on AOA Today, Agriculture of America. Jesse Allen back with you. The show today brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Everyday products powered locally by Cenex. 
Well, we want to turn our attention now to some things going on in the biofuels industry and looking at some of the uh, ongoing discussions that Clean Fuels Alliance America is having. And I know he's been a guest of the show many times, and uh, I look forward to many more discussions with him as well. I believe it's my first one, though, with Donnell Rehagen, the CEO for Clean Fuels Alliance America. Donnell, it's great to talk with you today. How are you? Yeah, good morning, Jesse. Thanks for having me. I'm doing great. Well, I appreciate the time, and I understand you are at the Iowa Biodiesel Board Meeting here today. Can you uh, talk about that a little bit just to start and some of the conversations that are ongoing there? Sure. The Iowa Biodiesel Board is, uh, you know, the state association looking after the biodiesel industry in Iowa. And we have a few states in the United States that have formed organizations like that. They play a really, really important role in in keeping their state stakeholders together and to keep their state legislators aware. And uh, so, yeah, they're meeting here in Ankeny right now, and uh, I'm part of it. Pretty excited about that. Any interesting uh, conversations, industry outlook type conversations that are happening there uh, in Ankeny this week? Well, lots of excitement, you know, about what's going on in our industry. When you look at the growth that's uh, projected and the growth that we've seen over the last couple of years, the biodiesel producers are right in the middle of all of that. Um, obviously, our industry is changing as well with the growth in renewable diesel and now sustainable aviation fuel coming online. And so obviously conversations about how's this look, how do these puzzle pieces fit together three years, five years, 10 years from now. Uh, but I think the good news is uh, uh, all of those fuels are going to be needed and probably in volumes beyond what we can produce. And so it's a good situation to be in. Well, I'm glad you brought up sustainable aviation fuel. That's one thing I, I wanted to dive a little bit deeper um, with you on. Obviously, a very hot topic. There's a lot of uh, potential growth here when it comes to sustainable aviation fuel. And it, it's something that it feels like, to your point there, Donnell, we're kind of on the cusp of the boom here. And we're trying to kind of get all of our ducks in a row and figure out how this is going to look. But Man, oh man, everything I keep reading, there is a, a lot of potential here with SAF. Absolutely. Uh, you know, the U.S. Uh, airline industry consumes about 24 billion gallons a year of jet fuel. And so if you think about, uh, you know, the, the ability of our industry to produce some of that fuel, uh, we're certainly not in a position to replace all of that, but the demand is growing. You know, those uh, airlines, not just passenger airlines, but transport airlines are moving goods around the world and uh, consumers and companies, corporations with uh, significant carbon reduction goals are demanding that those products be moved using cleaner transportation. And so SAF is certainly uh, uh, shooting up there in, the, in demand, not again, not just in the U.S., but globally. I know Clean Fuels Alliance America here, I believe just last week, released some new data looking at uh, global supplies of used cooking oil to help meet some of the growing demand for biodiesel, renewable diesel, and sustainable aviation fuel. I thought this data, Donnell, was very, very interesting. Could you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, it is very compelling data. It was important for us to uh, to commission this study. You know, that's one of the things as our industry has been trying to grow, and we have visions of being a six billion gallon industry by 2030. That would be doubling about where we are today. And a lot of the questions that we get from the EPA or, or, or the parties who who may not want to believe that is where are all the feedstocks going to come from? And so, of course, we've seen what's happening in soybean crush. 
the expansions, the announcements of these plants, and that's a great thing for U.S. soybean farmers uh, uh, as well as our industry. And so the soybean industry has answered the call for more veg oil. Uh, so this study was commissioned to look at the global supply of used cooking oil. So here in the United States and even in Canada, it's a pretty sophisticated collection system that's in place and has been for years and years, um, not so much so in other places. And so this study looked at what is being consumed in other countries uh, where there's practical ability to start collection and what that would mean to our industry. And so part of that is just to identify the availability of other feedstocks when the market conditions are, are occurring as they are right now, they're pulling demand for used cooking oil into the United States. And so it means there's more of an incentive to collect it and to, uh, to get it to where those markets are, are demanding it. We're talking with the CEO for Clean Fuels Alliance America, Donnell Rehagen, here on AOA today. Donnell, as we think about renewable diesel and biodiesel as a whole as well, and we'll throw sustainable aviation fuel in there, obviously, uh, plenty of regulation. We have to watch what the EPA is doing with the RFS and more and just some of the things that they continue to uh, work on there. And I know we've had a lot of... Uh, lot of chatter about that earlier in the year getting some different final rules set etc i mean how does uh, how does everything look on the regulation front right now is there anything that we need to keep our eyes on moving forward well i think we always need to uh be vigilant uh, there's always opportunities uh, for good things to happen in regulation and there's obviously opportunities for bad things to happen in regulation and that's both at the federal and the state level and so Clean Fuels Alliance, uh, you know, has committed a significant amount of resources to our federal team in D.C. as well as our state team uh, to to be uh, ears and eyes on the ground, uh, you know, at the legislative level and the regulatory level. I don't know that there's anything we're really watching extremely closely at the moment. I mean, there's some things regarding, you know, the RVOs that were recently re recently released. We'd obviously love to see those volumes grow a little bit faster. Um, and obviously, the transformation of the biodiesel, the blenders tax credit in 2025 is going to be something for our industry to keep their eye on as that dollar a gallon that we've been used to having uh, as part of the equation ever since 2005 is now going to transform into a, a carbon intensity credit uh, that will vary from fuel to fuel and feedstock to feedstock. Well, Donnell, before we uh, run out of time and let you go here today, anything else uh, you're you're thinking about right now going on in the uh, in the biodiesel industry, uh, the biofuels industry that we just we want to we want to keep our eyes on and watch. I mean, any, anything else standing out to you? Any new research that Clean Fuels Alliance is working on? Uh, anything else on your mind in general? Well, well, one of the things that is coming up, our, our annual conference is coming up in February, yeah. February 5th to 8th, and it's in Fort Worth, Texas. Uh, your listeners can get more information at cleanfuelsconference.org. Uh, but that conference annually brings together all the stakeholders in our industry. Everybody from the farm field to the retailers are at our conference, not only learning about what's new and going on in our industry, but what's coming up. Uh, you know, as we look forward. So we're going to be talking with railroads. We're going to be talking with marine operators. We're talking about air, with airlines. And so the market opportunities are growing exponentially for our fuels. And that's going to cause some changes in our industry as far as from a feedstock supply side. Obviously, uh, carbon intensity being a, a huge factor 
going forward in access to credits and access to regulatory opportunities. So uh, work to be done, and uh, it's always great to gather all the interested stakeholders and make sure everybody starts the new year out uh, with a fresh set of information on what's going on in our industry. And again, that website, cleanfuelsconference.org. And I just uh, pulled that up in front of me as well. Looks like a lot of great featured speakers. And, you know, you brought up a great point there uh, as well, Donnell, just looking at rail and transportation in general. I know we uh, don't have as many supply chain issues as we had and transportation issues, but I think about just some of the things out there with low water levels on the Mississippi, could put a little strain maybe on rail and and trucks and moving some of these uh, fuels around the country. So uh, obviously some things uh, we're going to have some conversations about there, I would think. Yeah, we, absolutely. The, you know, our the country is very, uh, we're very fortunate here in the United States. I mean, we have yeah. great access to products and it's all because of transportation and moving those goods, whether it's on road, rail, marine, uh, or through the air. And so, uh, that's why we're excited again about the role we can play in helping all of those players decarbonize their transportation of the goods that we all uh, want to receive here in the U.S. Cleanfuelsconference.org, and you can get all the details about their uh, upcoming conference. That's going to be in February, February 5th through the 8th in Fort Worth, Texas, as Donnell mentioned. And you can also find more details at cleanfuels.org, too. So a couple different ways you can find out more details and look at the recent research and more and all the things that Clean Fuels Alliance America is working on. Donnell Rehagen, CEO for Clean Fuels Alliance America. Always appreciate you being a guest here on AOA Thanks for the time. I look forward to talking to you again in the future. All right. Thank you, Jesse. Donnell Rehagen with Clean Fuels Alliance America joining us here today on AOA. And again, a lot of great things uh, going on. Sustainable aviation fuel. I've been watching this and, and reading the info and hearing more about it. And there is just so much to unpack here in this data that uh, CFAA released on using uh, used cooking oil. I mean, just. Uh, just a, uh, interesting stuff. You can you can find a link to it. Uh, we got it on the uh, AOA website as well, and the Clean Fuels Alliance America has the report on their website at cleanfuels.org. And just uh, looking at some of this data, and I think about you know how much uh, used cooking oil is left out there. My parents used to run a a bar restaurant in uh, North Central Iowa, and we had that grease trap in the back with all that used cooking oil that uh, it just uh, kind of kind of went nowhere it, it got pumped out and take it away and that was that so if we could find a, a different use for things like this and put it to good use and turn it into sustainable aviation fuel i think that is uh really really a great idea to explore so uh, we'll stay close with the uh, folks there at clean fuels alliance america and uh, stay on top of what's going on without or throughout this entire industry. All right, coming up next, we are, of course, uh, in the middle of National Farm Safety and Health Week and trying to remember to stay safe on and around the farm, not only adults, but kids as well. Um, a lot of times kids can get into trouble as they're roaming around the farm. We're going to have a conversation about that with Jana Davidson from the Progressive Agriculture Foundation. Coming up next here on AOA, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, a diesel that doesn't mess around. We'll be back with more on AOA on the way right after this. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. 
Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans and if left untreated can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice US. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org. 54. So, basically, it's too late to start saving for retirement, right? Not right. Starting to save, even in your 50s, can really make a difference. Well, right now, saving seems hard to wrap my head around. Plus, with the way this year's been going... (laughs) Hey, listen. It's okay. You still got this. Just go to aceyourretirement.org. It's an online tool from AARP that can help you get your retirement savings on track no matter your age. It's free and only takes about three minutes. I like three minutes. Yeah. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll chat with Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. Just answer a few questions and you'll get a personalized plan and tips to help boost your retirement savings. Tips that are easy to understand and tailored to your lifestyle. I like that too. Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Just head to aceyourretirement.org and make your plan to start saving for retirement. Thanks. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. This is Around the Table, where we explore the benefits of cooperative ownership. It's National Farm Safety and Health Week. Today, we're talking with Vicki Kilgore, a senior risk management consultant for Nationwide, about ways to prevent injuries on the farm. Vicki, what precautions can help prevent injuries on the farm, especially during busy seasons? I would have to say that when we're in the middle of harvest, those stress levels are high. Farmers are working those long hours and many times very little sleep. So by being aware of the problem, we can decrease the likelihood of those accidents happening. So realizing that we're fatigued, that we may need extra time to think about what we are doing to help prevent those accidents. Mental health is part of overall health. What do you recommend for managing stress? Agriculture can be one of the most stressful occupations out there. So we have everything from uncertain weather, fluctuation of market prices, input costs, machinery breakdowns, all of those things can be stressors. Really, farmers also can be very isolated. Understanding that that's an issue and that's a problem and being willing to talk to people about some of the things that stress that you're having. And again, taking a break, taking some time out, and which is hard to do during busy times. Vicki, what resources are available to help farmers stay safe and healthy? There are a ton of resources out there, anywhere from farm safety for just kids, different farm mental health services and stuff. They can be a little different state by state. You can look at your local extension services, once again, that's Vicki Kilgore with Nationwide. Thank you for joining us around the table. Learn more about the benefits of cooperative ownership at cooperativeownership.com. In today's troubled world, our USA Armed Forces stand ready to protect you, your family, and our American way of life. 
When veterans return to civilian life, they deserve your recognition and support. You can help put vets to work by donating your car, truck, or van to Patriotic Hearts. Your donation will directly support programs to help vets find jobs or even start their own business. Donate today for fast, free pickup of your vehicle, running or not. Operators are standing by to answer questions about making a tax-deductible vehicle donation. Find out how you can make a difference in the life of a United States veteran. Call 800-209-6416 for 24-hour response. Call 800-209-6416. 800-209-6416. That's 800-209-6416. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to AOA, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel, Cenex Roadmaster XL, everyday products powered locally. That's Cenex. Well, it's National Farm Safety and Health Week, and right now we want to get the perspective from the Progressive Agriculture Foundation and Progressive Agriculture Safety Days. Joining us now, Jana Davidson with Progressive Agriculture Foundation. Jana, great to talk with you again. Hope you're doing well. I'm doing great, Jesse. How about yourself? I'm doing great, and uh, thank you for making the time. A busy week, no doubt, as I mentioned, with it being National Farm Safety and Health Week here this week. And I know the Progressive Agriculture Foundation and uh, Progressive Agriculture Safety Days, you guys have a lot of great webinars here throughout the week, kind of focusing on different things about being safe uh, in and around the farm. So just start there and talk about some of the things you guys are, are helping to work highlight here this week. Absolutely. And again, thanks for the invitation, because this is a very busy week, but it's a very important week because we know fall harvest. It um, is a busy time and it's a very dangerous time. So this is really good um, topics we want to bring to the forefront to keep everyone uh, in the family safe. So, yes, we are starting our first ever webinar series. So each day at noon central time, uh, we will focus on a different topic area. Um, and the overall theme for the week is no one can take your place, which is so true. Um, we all know that if, if someone is injured on the farm and, and, and if someone passed from that injury, it is devastating, not only to the family and friends, but that entire community, whole community mm -hmm. suffers. So we want to keep folks healthy. We want to keep them safe and we want to keep them doing what they love um, in and around the farm. So um, this webinar series, just to give you some insight, it's like I said, focusing on a different topic every day. On Tuesday, we're going to focus on enhancing youth resilience. Um, so again, talking about our mental well-being um, from um, the adults in our lives to our children, we really need to make sure that we're not only taking care of our physical health, but our mental health as well. Um, Wednesday is going to be a really neat topic. We're going to be focusing on priority populations. So we are going to talk about um, reaching maybe different audiences like our mm -hmm. Anabaptist communities or Native American populations and how we really need to tailor that message specific to them and also eliminate some of those barriers so that they also are getting that important farm safety education. Sure. Um, on Thursday, we will focus on confined spaces in agriculture. So everything from um, grain safety, which is so important, so vital to like 
um, manure pit safety, silo safety, um, things like that. Because you hear so much about tragedies that, again, could be prevented um, from everything from manure gases to, again, being engulfed in grain. And we really want to prevent that. And then last but certainly not least, we'll end the week on Friday really focusing on brain health. And so we are going to talk really um, with someone on the importance of helmets and the role that they play in keeping us safe. And um, whether it's it's on our ATVs or UTVs, we're out bike riding, riding our mm -hmm. horses. That's really the essential piece of um, equipment we need to have. Well, Jana, I think about just some of the stats and we talk about just some of the overall stats with adults included, but the childhood agricultural injury stats are also uh, can be pretty staggering, can't they? They certainly are. So um, for those that are not aware right now, about every three days, a child dies due to an agriculture-related incident, and at least every day, um, 33 children um, are taken to um, hospitals and emergency rooms because of that agriculture-related incident. And I think what, you know, you mentioned about it being so sobering, and, and the thing that surprises me the most is I believe 79% of the children um, that are injured are not working at the time that this incident occurs. So again, thinking about fall harvest and how busy of a time of the year that is, Think about the blind spots, the children that could be close by. They see that tractor, they can see the operator, and they assume that operator can see them, which is, as you know, is not always the case. So we see mm -hmm. a lot of the, the runovers occur there. Sometimes it's 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 um, with livestock. We all know livestock, they have their good days and they have their bad days, just like us. And sometimes we put children in, in dangerous situations um, when they're in and around livestock. And then also just other, you know, equipment and machinery, you know, Kids are curious. Uh, they, they see that, especially kids that are not, uh, they do not grow up on the farm. So fall harvest also brings a lot of families to the farm that maybe um, help because it's a busy time, more hands, right? We need we need this extra set of hands to, to work. And so kids that they don't know that farm life, they look at that tractor and see, ooh, a fun ride, you know? Mm -hmm. these, are, these are things we want to play around and play on. And so we really want to send that message that that really can't, those are hidden hazards and that can really create a dangerous situation. Jana, if folks want to uh, register for the webinars, I know they could do that very easily. How could they find that link online? Absolutely. So it really, you can find it through our website, but if you go to um, www.progressiveag.org and then backslash, um, and then we kind of spell out the, the acronym for National Farm Safety and Health Week. So it's NF. SHW, um, you can can go ahead and register. Maybe you can include that link here as well, Jesse. Yeah. But um, yeah, reg free, free webinars too. Free mm -hmm. webinars, good education. I'm very impressed by the the, the panelists that we have um, been able to, to work with. Um, I think they're going to share some really great um, information and great resources for our farm families. So yeah, take advantage. And even if you register, and we know it's a busy time for folks, if you can't make it during that noon hour, if you register, we will send you a link of the recording. So you can watch it at a later time. Fantastic. And I know on that website as well, progressiveag.org, uh, just a plug for Progressive Agriculture Safety Days. You guys are a nonprofit. You do so much great work with farm safety education for kids around North America. Highlight that for us just real quick. 
Absolutely. So yes, we are. Um, our program has now been recognized as the largest rural safety and healthy edu health education program for children in North America. So we're very wow. proud of that. And we want to continue to grow um, here at the foundation. We always have a goal of being bigger and better each year. So we are starting to look ahead to 2024. So if someone is listening in and they think this sounds like a great program, it's something we want to bring to our community. These are offered throughout the schools as well, right inside the classroom. Classroom, and we're seeing them happening more and more at fairs and festivals and other um, opportunities that are in conjunction with another agricultural event. So um, you can easily do so. Go to our website again, progressiveag.org. There is a link on there to get involved and you can go on there and you can complete an interest form and we will follow up with you on the next steps to apply. Find more information, progressiveag.org. Jana Davidson, always appreciate a conversation with you. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll talk to you again soon. Thank you, Jesse. And we're out of time here on AOA today, brought to you by Cenex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil, oil that runs smart. I'm Jesse Allen. Have a great rest of your day. At Bayer, we think farmers have made enough trade-offs. That's why we created VT4 Pro with RNAi technology, so you don't have to choose between yield potential or our widest spectrum of insect protection. You get both. And you're even protected against notorious pests like corn earworm and corn rootworm. Visit vt4pro.com to trade up without the trade-offs. Read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. Copyright 2023 Bear Group. Always reserved. Young farmers don't listen to the radio, right? Wrong. In a recent survey, 74% of young producers said they get their most important agricultural information from their trusted farm radio station. Surprised? Don't be. If you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Radio is the perfect companion because it goes with you everywhere. Whether you're in the shop, on the combine, or in the truck, Farm Radio is right there with you. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity. And vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too. To be a beacon of strength. A champion of courage. An advocate for hope. You are not alone. Because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we are finding. We're fighting macular degeneration. Retinitis pigmentosa. Usher syndrome. And the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. We fund. We fight. We, we win. win. We, we, we are the Foundation, foundation Fighting Blindness. Together, we are fighting blindness. Join the fight at fightingblindness.org.